Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. John Wilner is the guru of the Pac-12 Conference. That's what I call him. That's what you should call him. You should be following him at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. You should be reading him. He's all over the Pac-12 footprint, and he's joining us now. I want to talk a little bit, John, about uh, Kevin Warren's comments yesterday, Big Ten Media Day. It's important for all of us in business to recognize that we're in a time of change. And I think there's two types of people in the world, that they look at change as it's a problem, or they look at change as an opportunity. And I'm one of those individuals that when change occurs, I get excited about it, that it, that it really is an opportunity for us to do a lot of things that people have thought about, but maybe have been a little bit reticent to do. And so I'm embracing change. I'm gonna be very aggressive. Uh, I've been that way my entire career. And, uh, and I just wanna make sure we build an environment because our student athletes and our fans and, and, and our universities deserve that. There was some grandstanding going on. Uh, he was taking a victory lap, maybe justifiably so. But what were your takeaways as you heard him sort of speaking yesterday? The whole thing, yes, he, he was grandstanding, you know, taking a victory lap. And the guy two years ago, the guy got hammered for how he handled the Big Ten situation with COVID, right? Now he's taking his victory lap. But, it, you know, it's so Shakespearean, right? I mean, a year ago, he and... Uh, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 have formed this alliance, and now here we are, and Warren has taken the knife to the heart of the Pac-12. He made some comments where, you know, he was asked, like, you know, is this healthy for college athletics? And he sort of said that, look, if you're in a position to lose teams, I'm paraphrasing here, if you're in a position to lose teams, then you have bigger problems than just, uh, you know, if, you know, more issues than members leaving. There are deeper issues. What is he talking about? Is he is he throwing shade specifically at the Pac-12, or he's just kind of defending what he did? I think he's uh, doing a little bit of both, and I think he's showing some shade at Pac-12 presidents, to be honest with you. It's like, you know, we've known for years they haven't been focused enough, they haven't invested enough in football, and and now, you know, they're paying the price, and they, and they endorsed misguided media strategies by the former commissioner, and so now they're paying the price for the bad leadership at the top. I mean, he, it's a very Machiavellian uh, approach, but he's also spent, what, 20, 25 years in the NFL where, you know, it's professional and it's cutthroat and uh, it, you don't have, it's not the old college try. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, there's winners and losers, and he's taken that view here to the conference realignment situation. The Pac-12's problems, we could probably pinpoint that revenue is at the heart of it, but what else is going on? You mentioned sort of like the presidents and chancellors and their and their views over the last decade maybe have been a little more scattered than the SEC or the Big Ten when it comes to football. But it, what else, what other issues do you see beyond media rights money for the Pac-12? Well, certainly there are some secular issues that it doesn't have a whole lot of control over, right? And those have accelerated in recent years with high school football participation, especially in California, dropping 
much quicker than it has dropped in, say, Texas or Georgia, Florida, Ohio, you know, the feeder states for the other leagues. I think that's a that's a huge issue, right? I mean, there's not as many 300-pound defensive tackles growing up in the Pac-12 as there are in other places. So to some extent, the issues are beyond the Pac-12's immediate control, but I think that you know, certainly the – some strategy issues, the, you know, the instant replay affair, uh, you know, it just all have served to devalue the Pac-12's brand. The former commissioners focus on Olympic sports, which was uh, enabled by the presidents and chancellors, to, you know, I think devalued the football a little bit and men's basketball. So all those things combined with some underperformance on the field. I mean, you can't you can't ignore the fact that USC has been mediocre for a decade. All of it is kind of coming home to roost. They don't have to add members. They don't have to expand. They could be the Pac-10 moving forward. But there are some interesting properties out there. Uh, from a strategy standpoint, if we can uh, pick through them a little bit, San Diego State is interesting to me. They, you got a million, 1.1 million households in that region, television-wise. It helps get you back into Southern California. Are you thumbs up, thumbs down, or lukewarm on San Diego State as a candidate? I think San Diego State is a must-have. I mean, it is an absolute no-brainer. And if they don't do that, they're you know, they're digging a much deeper hole, right? Assume, if we assume that they are going to stick together, at least for the short term, uh, I don't know how they cannot invite San Diego State, right? They got a new, they got a new stadium coming online this fall. They can expand to 55,000 if needed because they built it to house an NFL team if necessary. So they got a new stadium. You know, their academic profile is, is uh, better than a few of the schools in the Pac-12. Uh, one point, what did you say, 2 million homes, Twenty. it's the number 27 media market in the country. It has produced Junior Seau, Alex Smith, Reggie Bush, Marcus Allen. I mean, there's obviously, it's a very important recruiting round, San Diego County specifically, but also San Diego is the same distance from modern day high school as Moonbeam is from Chicago. In other words, the Pac-12 would have a, pres- a recruiting presence in Southern California in the L.A. Basin if it's got a campus in San Diego. And I, I just think they're a must-have. John Wilner with us, Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News. Wilner, uh, let's, pick, let's pick through a couple of other candidates. Uh, Boise State, only 517,000 TV households in Idaho. Is, is it a non-starter, or do you consider them? I don't think, I mean, they, to me, they're a plan. They're not even plan B for the Pac-12. They're probably plan C, to be honest with you. Not, you know, everything from the academic profile to the media rights, uh, I just don't see there being much interest unless we're talking about a Pac-12 that is gutted and reforming with the Mountain West in some kind of merger. That's the only way. There's also some talk about Fresno State. I kind of put them in the same category, although you'd be in Central California. Uh, you know, it starts to feel a little bit too much like the WAC or the Mountain West when you start talking about all these schools. But is Fresno State in this thing? I think they're probably in as Plan B. You know, and, and part of the reason for that is, um, you know, if you include Fresno, and I don't know specifically how this would work 
you know, how Comcast and Dish and everybody else and ESPN would value Fresno State from a media rights standpoint. But if Fresno is included in the Sacramento media market, that's the 20th biggest media market in the country. It's bigger than Portland. It's bigger than Salt Lake and San Diego. So that is certainly something the Pac-12 needs to look at is where Fresno would stand on the media valuation front. And, and I do think if they expand, Fresno would probably be right you know, on, on the second tier for sure. UNLV, crossed my radar. The more I think about them, initially I waved it off, but the more I think about UNLV, Vegas is an emerging, growing market. I know they're, they're a top 40 TV market, but I think they've got some potential to move towards 2025 in the next decade. You also have Allegiant Stadium. You've got an NFL park there. You've got Klyovkov's relationships. Is UNLV... Uh, wrong to uh, get, you know, like UNLV fans reaching out to me, what few there are, are reaching out to me saying, hey, are we in this thing? Like, is that a pipe dream, or do you think there's something to that? I, you know, I'm not sure about UNLV. Uh, and part of the reason, I think that you're right about all those factors, but then you look at the football program, right? I mean, it's like Kansas football. I mean, it's terrible. So that would be the biggest uh, issue there, you know, San Diego State, they 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 come in being very competitive, right? I mean, they beat Pac-12 teams regularly, and plus they got a top 25 basketball program. To me, the issue with UNLV would be whether the Pac-12 was willing to kind of uh, swallow hard and accept the competitive piece, which the football program is just not any good. Yeah, I keep wondering if they would take UNLV but tell them, look, you're not going to get media rights money or not get a full share for five years, and Maybe that's how you justify it, and you're you're uh, you're taking that as a speculative bet. But I don't know if you can do that. It starts to feel a little bit too much Mountain Westy to me uh, uh, when yep. you, when we're talking about all these teams. Is there a brand danger for the Pac-12 in that sense? Oh, I think I think that there's a big brand danger, and the presidents are very aware of that. I think that if you know they're other than San Diego State, I think they need to look east. I think they need to look into Texas, right? I mean, SMU is not in the Big 12. It's in the American and probably would be thrilled to get an invitation. Uh, its academic profile is good. It, it gives you a chance to plant your flag in Dallas, uh, which helps on a bunch of fronts, including recruiting. So, I mean, I would, you know, I would say San Diego State and SMU might be atop their list. And this you know, all of this presumes that they're not going to get super aggressive and try to go after some Big 12 schools. And I don't think you can – there's probably a 1% chance of that, uh, 2% chance, but you can't totally discount it. I mean, Houston is would be a great addition. I thought Houston would be a good addition a year ago, uh, given the recruiting and the media market and the fact it's a competitive program. And maybe they go try to get Houston before they even Houston even joins the Big 12. I, yeah, I think that's a that's a possibility. It would be good strategy there. I, the the talks with the Big Twelve. It got all those Big Twelve fans mad at you, mad at me. They're all riled up. It's like a hornet's nest right now with the Big Twelve fans trying to say, "Hey, we still matter." Uh, but I felt like the talks between the Pac-12 and the Big Twelve were probably just obligatory. Hey, let's check that box. Let's explore what's there. I never really expected anything to come from it, and yet. The narrative spinning out of it was like the Big 12 dumped the Pac-12. I didn't see it that way. How did you see it? I'm not sure how to see it because a lot of the media narrative has come from the Big 12 via leaks. And, I'm, you know, the Pac-12 has been much more tight-lipped 
than the Big 12 has. And so you always have to be wary uh, when one narrative continues to come from a certain region, right? Um, so I don't know exactly what happened there. I, I certainly wouldn't uh, discount the possibility that a bunch of Pac-12 schools end up in the in the Big 12. And I also don't, don't think that whatever they talked about in terms of a merger, you could come back to that in a couple of months, you know, when both when both conferences get a, a better view of what the media rights landscape's going to be. Uh, I don't think it's dead completely. I think it's in, you know, it's in a medically induced coma, uh, but it could, could resurface. I want to talk a little bit uh, before I cut you loose about the preseason all-pack 12 conference football teams. They came out uh, yesterday. They do this every year in front of media day. But Caleb Williams at quarterback for USC is the first team offensive quarterback. Cam Rising at Utah is your second team. Um, you know, what jumped out at you as you saw the list of uh, all these players and specialists uh, on offense and defense? I mean, the first thing is there's a lot of USC guys. Uh, but the second thing is transfers. I mean, that if you think about it, right, both, there's first and second team. Both quarterbacks are transfers. Hmm. Uh, three of the four tailbacks are transfers. Uh, the starting receivers, both at SC, are both transfers. You know, that is partly the way of the world right now in college football, but it also tells you something about Pac-12 recruiting, uh, I think. You know, that was that was the thing that jumped out to me. The other, the other thing is that I, I do think it's going to be very – there's going to be some very good defenses in the conference th- this coming year. That To me, that is the, – the strength of the league tilts to the defensive side, especially uh, Oregon, Washington, Utah. Th- those schools should be really good defensively. When you, when you think about how many players – I think it's 10 USC players on the first team, second teams, and specialists. Uh, when you think about that, if – Lincoln Riley comes in. Let's say he let's say he underachieves a little bit. Let's say he wins seven or eight games. Is the narrative going to be, you know, he really underachieved? It, it's a slower build, or are we going to say they were overhyped? Oh boy, uh, I think it'll be mostly that he underachieved, just because he's become such a flashpoint for fans and media, uh, for better or worse, right? Uh, I think that uh, nine wins is probably eight and a half, nine wins is what I would bet on, right? Uh, if you're setting a line in Vegas, I don't think that they are good enough to be, you know, 11 and 1, 12 and 0 going into the Pac 12 championship game. I, I just, I don't. I just don't see it on defense on their uh, the defensive side. I don't think they're quite good enough. So a lot of this is is just hype. Yeah, I can't get the uh, image of Oregon State pushing them around the Coliseum out of my mind from last year. Yeah. They just pile drove them. All right, Wilner, you're going to join us tomorrow. I appreciate you doing that. We we may have a little announcement on tomorrow's show as well as you and I have been working on something that. Uh, the insiders on this show, the listeners of this show, are, are going to get special insight with. But I appreciate you joining us, and we'll check in with you tomorrow about Pac-12 Media Day coming up on Friday. Tomorrow I'm going to ask you about George Klyovkov specifically. I know you wrote this on Wednesday, but I, what is he going to say? How is he going to position the conference? We'll deal with all that. John Wilner, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Leave it right here. Coming up, uh, more ahead, Punch It Audio and more. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
still hot out there. You feel like you're on the face of the sun still? Steven, you you uh, you spend any time in the world today? Uh, you know, I did. We uh, we went to the park today because I got brought, got in a little later to the studio today, so I went to the park with the family. Uh, luckily, it was a shaded park, so I feel good about that. <laughs> okay, this morning, this is funny. This morning, uh, I... I had told because I'm going to be out, you know, I'm going to be out doing Pac-12 Media Day, and so I always like to try to spend some time with the kids before I go because then when I come back, they're like, "Who are you?" Um, so I uh, I decided that today I was going to take the two little ones to play miniature golf because right, who's playing miniature golf on a Wednesday morning? Right? Exactly. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Course is empty. We have the whole course to ourselves. Could have played 36. <laughs> no, <laughs> but Anna came along and. Uh, this is more her world. Like she's dealing with this stuff on a daily basis, and the two younger daughters are six and eight, and they're the best of friends, and they're also, as you know, like cats and dogs. Like when they're not getting along, so we played about four holes before they went off the rails. We were literally ready to bag it up because they were arguing, they were trash talking each other. We don't go for that. We, uh, they were. Uh, just being crummy to each other, and uh, in the end, I was like, "You're ruining, you're ruining this beautiful round of miniature golf." But it was already warm. It was like 10:30 in the morning, and I was already going, "This is going to be blistering today." And it was that way yesterday. Do you think, like, how long have you lived here? I've lived here my whole life, so uh, 35 years. Okay, I I didn't grow up here, and and I grew up in a warmer part of California. Like it, it was not unusual to see 90s push into 100, and not just for like a week. We get like a bad week here, like bad four days, and everybody freaks out. And I've always laughed at that, but now I'm one of those people. Like I think I've been, you know, my I have been adjusted. I'm climatized or whatever it is. I don't know if Sean feels the same way either, or Judah or whoever else is uh, around the back of the studio over there, but it it just feels like I'm, I've turned into a wimp. <laughs> yeah, Sean is here as well. Uh, yeah, I'm like the opposite. I feel like now – I can't wait to, for it to be sunny and hot. Like, I don't mind the heat. I know that, like, yesterday I went, uh, we had some golf balls at the driving range, and I was just soaked in sweat. Uh, and it was, like, 930 in the morning, so that wasn't good. But, I mean, I I look and I love for the heat now. Like, I just, I don't want to be in the rain anymore. We, like, me and my wife like to go to Vegas because it's even extra hot there. Like, mm-hmm. I'm all about the heat now, John. I don't know if that, I don't know what that means about me, but maybe I'm ready know. to retire already. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm melting out there. But the kids rallied. They got through about, you know, we got to about the 14th hole, and I literally sat them down. Anna was ready to like bag it. She's like, you know what? They don't deserve to be out here. And I, uh, I said to the two girls, I said, listen, we're out here. We're having fun. We're playing miniature golf. Nobody's hit. A, nobody's lost a ball yet. Oh wow! Like, like let's have let's have a good time. Let's finish this. And they did. They finished. Uh, I was proud of them for finishing strong. Multiple now, Anna, questions. Yeah, Sorry. Ahead. What's your course yeah. and who ended up winning? Um, I don't even know the name of the course that we played, and we did not keep score because uh, we, uh, you know, it would have been a nightmare to keep score because you got a six-year-old out there yeah. and an eight-year-old. By the way, the six-year-old made a hole in one. She was the only one that made one, but the course was over in Clackamas, and I, I blanking on the name of the course. Uh, Eagles Landing. Probably. I don't know. I just get in the car and I'm I'm there. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not looking around. I'm woefully unaware of everything that except sports. So. Uh, I think you're right. I think it was Eagles Landing. And shout out to the people there. But I, uh, it was great because there was nobody out there. And then, you know what I noticed? I looked over at the real golf course that was that's there. It's kind of like a par three course that's around there. And it was elderly people, or should I just say older people? Older people 
and it was young guys. Like, it was, like, 20-year-old guys and old people. Like, that's all that's out there on the course during the day. Like, the rest of us are working. working. Exactly. That's damn right. <laughs> well, well, when I went to the driving range yesterday, and like I said, it was, like, 9.30, 9 o'clock. There was, a uh, like, a senior group that was going on at the driving range. We tried to golf right next to them and hit it, you know, underneath the cover and not have to go in the sun. And they said, well, you're not uh, old enough. you got to go out there in the sun and hit, and hit off those. So maybe that's a thing. I don't know. All right, so speaking of old people, something happened yesterday that I got to talk about. I got to get this off my chest. We decided yesterday after the show that we were going to go out to dinner. All three daughters were around. It was kind of an unusual circumstance, and we said, let's go, let's go out to eat. So we decided to go out. We get to this restaurant, and everybody had the same idea. There was an hour wait, okay? And, but, but it was so hot outside. At least it was cool inside, so we said, hey, you know what? We're going to sit and wait. And we, uh, we were sitting inside just by the hostess stand of this restaurant. Casual place, but family, you know, you got you to gotta wait. You wait, and, you know, you're seated. And, it, you know, it's a decent restaurant, but not super nice. But, it, you know, it looked to me like a lot of people were coming in off a golf course playing. Like, or everybody just had that red-faced look because it was so hot outside. This one older guy came in, and he was immediately upset. Because he said, my name is Jim or whatever, and I have a reservation. I didn't even know you could do that. He said, I have a reservation at, at like 6.30. And the hostess, who's like an 18-year-old kid, is looking for his name and can't immediately find it. Like, she's looking, but he's really upset. And he starts to say to her, I can't believe you don't have it. I called you at 3.15. I made this reservation. Like, he was really harsh with her. I thought he was kidding. I thought I thought he was joking. That's how harsh he was with her. Like his tone did not fit the moment. And she was still looking for his name. And she eventually found it. And she said, Oh, here you are. And he then looked at her and said, Oh good. Like he was just kind of crappy to her. And uh, you know, he he made a couple of other harsh remarks to her. And she, her manager came over. And and you could tell, like the manager, really good well-managed place because you could tell the manager recognized that there was a problem before there was a problem and the manager came over and said I'll see you to your table and took the guy away I was really in that moment upset at the guy because he was so rude to her but I didn't say anything and my wife later told me the same thing she said he was so rude I wanted to say hey that's not how you talk to people you ought to be ashamed of yourself like you know scold him in that moment and he's about an 80-year-old guy, okay? So my daughter, my oldest daughter, who works in a restaurant, okay, she didn't sit quietly. She said to him, hey, not okay. Don't, you don't talk to people like that. Which the hostess then turned to her and said, thank you for having my back. These people, they come in here, they just talk to me like I'm garbage, and, you know, nobody ever does that. I was really proud of my kid, but I was fuming Still, and I was mad at myself. Have you ever been in these situations where you're mad at yourself for not speaking up? Well, definitely. Do you think, John, if you were to say something, that the guy would have said something back to you? Because I understand maybe, you know, coming from your daughter who's just younger, like he's maybe not going to say anything back to her. But if it was, you know, an older dad gentleman like yourself, you know, maybe he comes back with you and fires back and says, you know, mind your own business and start something bigger. Because I'm with you. You know, he's definitely in the wrong and you can't treat people that way. It's horrible. Yeah, I just, yeah. I would just be afraid that he would say something back to me. But I know, like, my youngest would probably say something to him just because yep. my youngest 
you know, he he has no filter. He just says what's on his right, mind. Right. I was proud of her because we always talk about being a bystander versus being an upstander. And I said, you know, that was cool. And my wife said, you were an upstander. She said, I wanted to say, you know, my wife said, I wanted to say something, but I didn't. Well, I was fuming, right? Like internally, I was, I was mad at myself for not speaking up. I was proud of my kid for speaking up. The guy kind of blew her off and went to his table and you know, four, he and three buddies kind of sat there and ate, and I could see them across the restaurant. Well, I couldn't help myself. I got up at one point, and I walked over to his table. And I said to him, I said, hey, I said, I saw what you said to the hostess. I said, you were out of line. And by the way, I later found out he was the same way to the server. He did the same thing to her. He just mm-hmm. berated her, was horrible to her. Uh, and I told him, I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And I said, you're lucky you're not younger. I said, because somebody, somebody's going to kick your ass. And he didn't say anything. He just looked at me, looked right through me, went away. I came back to the table. My daughter goes, what did you say to him? And I told her. And she goes, Dad, I think you went a little too far. Because <laughs> I, I was mad. But it's true, though. If he was younger, those are fighting words. Like, you can, you know, I've seen, less, I've seen fights for less than that. I just, I just felt like I was really proud of her. I was disappointed with myself for not speaking up for the hostess. And by the way, the hostess, hostess, like, fist bumped us on the way out. She was like, thank you for having my back. And an 80-year-old should know better. He should. Like, what are you doing? Get a hold of yourself. You're hot. It's hot outside. I get it. You got your table. You got your food. I told him that. I said, everything okay with your meal? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay. Then lighten up. Don't treat people like garbage. He thought you were a manager. There there you go. Hour number two is coming up. You got the bald-faced truth. We're going to start it with Punch It Audio. Why don't you leave it right here? We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.